we've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word RAR sample like it's all squished together in one word. <laughs> RAR sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Just one book? Well, I mean, ish. Yes, I am game. <laughs> I am game. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Uh, Happy New Year. I couldn't think of a better way to open up a new year than to chat with you here on the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. So here we are. I'm Sarah McKenzie. I hope this is a year of reading for you, for your kids, and hopefully, and most of all, (laughs) of shared reading aloud together. Here on the podcast, we're going to help you every step of the way with another year of tips, resources, book lists, and opportunities to help you connect with your kids through books. Today is the first day of the 2019 31-Day Read Aloud Challenge. This is our most popular event of the entire year here at Read Aloud Revival, and participants tell us that this simple challenge transforms their kids' relationships with reading. I know, that sounds like an exaggeration, but it's kind of amazing how this works. First of all, it's free, and there are just two steps for you to join us. First step is to register, so we can send you a challenge packet right away. So you do that by going to rar31days.com. That's where you register for free. Then the second step is up to your kids because this is a challenge for your kids, not for you. Your kids will read aloud for at least 10 minutes for as many days as possible in January. They'll keep track of the days they read aloud on the printable calendar, which you get in your challenge packet when you register. And The amazing thing is that when your kids read aloud for at least 10 minutes on as many days as possible in January, you'll watch them make tremendous leaps in both their decoding skills and their comprehension, as well as developing new and beautiful connections with those they read to. This is true for kids of all ages, not just those kids who are learning to read. Your teens will benefit a ton as well. The challenge is open to everyone, and we even have a pre-reader option for kids who aren't reading fluently on their own yet. So get everything you need for free at rar31days.com. We get a lot of requests here at the Read Aloud Revival for books for you. A list of books, people will ask, Sarah, what do you read for yourself? Not to your kids, not kids' books. What adult books are you reading on your own that you just love just for you? So today I have a guest on the show, the one and only Ann Bogle. And we're going to give you a slew of recommendations in different categories. That way you can go into 2019 reinvigorating your own reading life, your own delight for reading, not just with your kids, but on your own as well. We name so many books in this show. In fact, you're going to want to head to the show notes to see them all so you don't have to keep track because I'm not even sure how many (laughs) we talk about. It's a lot. 
The show notes are at readaloudrevival.com slash 119. But before we get to my conversation with Anne, I'm going to answer a listener question. Today's question comes from Carrie. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I am from Mansfield, Texas. My question is, my two oldest boys are 9 and 11, and when they were younger, I had them read out loud to me just as part of their reading curriculum to make sure they were pronouncing words correctly and understanding what they were reading. Now that they are older, I still have them read out loud to me every day. And of course, I read out loud to them every day. But I guess my question is, now that they are older, should I turn their reading time into a silent reading time for themselves? And of course, I'm not going to stop reading out loud to them. Is it as beneficial for them to read out loud to me as it is for me to read out loud to them? Carrie, it's an excellent question. When kids of any age read out loud, they make leaps in their decoding skills. That's their ability to read quickly and to read accurately. They also improve their comprehension. That is their ability to understand what they read. Reading aloud actually forces the reader, the one reading aloud, to speak every word in order. And in time, when you do that over and over again, it develops skills of elocution, of intonation and pronunciation. They also realize the importance of reading as a service, as something done for the kindness of someone else. If you've ever had to listen to someone read aloud who was not well-practiced in reading aloud, you know what I mean. (laughs) It's a gift when someone's good at reading aloud and is reading to you. It also makes it easier to notice when your child needs help understanding something or pronouncing something. You know, we can read words incorrectly for a long time when we're reading silently to ourselves before we realize that's not how it's said. For example, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, a very good reader who reads just a ton, once called a cafe a calf. This is not that long ago. She had read it many, many times, but it wasn't until she spoke it aloud that I was able to correct her. Kindly, of course. (laughs) So here's the practical takeaway. I still prioritize me reading aloud to my kids and having my kids read independently. Those still take priority. But it's a great idea to have your kids read aloud too. Maybe not as frequently, but still on a regular basis. You could have them read aloud to you every other day instead of every day, for example. And of course, right now we're doing the 31 Day Read Aloud Challenge. So make sure to sign up for that at rar31days.com. I hope that helps. Thank you so much for your question, Carrie. Hey, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming episode of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and look for, got a question for Sarah McKenzie? You can leave your voice message there. I'd love to hear your question and possibly answer it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We spend a lot of time here at the Read Aloud Revival talking about our kids' reading lives, how to help them fall in love with reading, and how to become discerning, voracious, and insightful readers who love to do it for the sheer joy reading brings. 
Today, I'm talking with Ann Bogle from ModernMrsDarcy.com. She's the host of the What Should I Read Next podcast and the author of a couple of books. The newest is called I'd Rather Be Reading. And she's here to talk about delighting in your own reading life so you can make 2019 a year where you are reading more just for the sheer joy of it. Yes, your reading life. <laughs> Jim Trillis, the author of the Read Aloud Handbook, advises teachers and parents to be seen by their kids reading daily. The reason for that is because for all the talk about how important it is to help our kids fall in love with reading, if they don't actually see the adults in their lives reading for pleasure, then why would they believe us when we talk about the refreshment and joy that reading gives or that reading is a worthwhile thing to do just for the joy of it? If you're listening to this podcast, I'd bet that the reason you don't read as much as you might want to isn't because you don't enjoy it. I bet it has more to do with that endless to-do list. The fact that there are way more things to do than fit into your ordinary day, and maybe even the fact that you feel a little bit guilty when you take time to read for yourself, you know, for fun. I'm not talking about reading books that your kids are reading aloud or otherwise. I'm not talking about parenting books or books that help you do your life or your work better, which are important to be sure. But today, I want to talk about books that you read just because you love to read them, books you read just for the fun of it. Well, I can't think of anyone better than Anne Bogle to talk about nurturing our own reading life. And so she's here today. Anne, welcome back to the Read Aloud Revival. It's a pleasure to be back. So for any listeners who aren't familiar with Modern Mrs. Darcy or the What Should I Read Next podcast, do you want to tell us just a little bit about what you do there? Sure. Modern Mrs. Darcy came first. It's a blog that I started in 2011. And that is a Jane Austen reference in the title. And my favorite way to describe it is not my own words. I stole this from a reader, but she described it as a lifestyle blog for nerds. Then in early 2016, we're about to have our third anniversary. I started the podcast, What Should I Read Next? It was actually born out of a blog series when I was doing literary matchmaking by email and then putting the information on the blog on the weekends. And I thought this would be so much more fun if we could actually talk back and forth about the books. And about that same time, I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to start a podcast? And I finally realized those ideas go hand in hand. So now every Tuesday on What Should I Read Next, I ask a reader. Sometimes it's somebody you may have heard of, like one of your favorite authors. And sometimes it's somebody who could be your mom or your sister or your neighbor to tell me three books they love, one book they don't, and what they're reading now. And then I recommend three titles they may enjoy reading next. My job is to help readers articulate what they like about the books that they really do enjoy reading so that they can find more books that deliver that same wonderful reading experience. Well, I know you and I talk quite a bit, actually, just for fun. And I remember telling you recently, I was telling you about a series that I'm going to talk about later today that I love. And I told you, I have no idea why I love them. I don't even like series books that much. And I cannot stop reading these. But I have no idea why I like them. And so it, I think it's so true that we can, if someone says, well, why do you love that book? We kind of go, actually, I'm not really sure. And sometimes somebody <laughs> else looking at, you know, our bookshelf, I don't know who was it. There's somebody I know who said, like, if you look at someone's bookshelf and their grocery cart, you pretty much have a good picture of who they are. I think that's probably <laughs> kind of true. <laughs> that's perfect. So the question I have for you first, Anne, is do you have any tips for choosing books that are likely to be winners? Because I know if you're tight on time, if you don't feel like you have a lot of spare time to read, but you're thinking, I want to get back into reading, I'm going to make some time for this. And then you pick up a book and it's a total dud. That can be really demoralizing or frustrating. So do you have any tips for choosing books that are likely to be winners? I totally know what you're talking about. It's so demoralizing to spend your precious reading time on a book and get to the end and think, well, that was a waste of 300 pages and the commensurate number of hours of my life. Something I hear from readers all the time is, can you recommend a great book? But 
the important thing to remember before you go looking for great books for you is that a great book means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So instead of just looking for what everybody else is talking about or what's highly recommended at the library or at your bookstore or what you see all over Instagram, it's important to consider who is recommending this and also what else do they enjoy reading. If you can find someone and that someone can be a certain reviewer, a certain website, it could be me or you, it could be the friend you have coffee with or your neighbor you walk the dog with, but someone whose Venn diagram of reading taste has a very healthy overlap with your own. And if they know you well and can speak to the issues in the book and can tell you, yes, that sounds like you, or uh, you might want to wait on that or spend your reading time elsewhere, you can get a lot more hits and a lot fewer misses. That's so good. Do you like kind of related to that? Do you quit books when you don't love them? Ooh, yes. And honestly, I think if you are in a reading slump, the single best thing you can do is to set aside a book that's not working for you. Now, first, the caveats. Of course, it's great to read books that aren't immediately hospitable. And of course, there's a reason for pushing through. And maybe we just want to cross that classic that we've never read, but always meant to off the list. I am looking at you withering heights. But if you haven't been reading or you're not excited about what you're reading, you're not going to pick up the book. And if you don't pick up the book, you're not going to read. So just put it down. Find something you're actually excited about. When you're on a roll again, you can go back to it if you want to. But I feel like we can make this I'm not reading right now thing into a much bigger issue than it needs to be when we get stuck on a book that's not working for us right now. Oh, I think that is such good advice because it's true. I know that if I'm already feeling like I'm stealing time from other parts of my day to read and then I'm reading something I'm not really interested in picking up or I'm just not digging, then what happens is I just don't read. All of a sudden, I have to do all those dishes and that laundry and it's a lot harder to carve out the time. All right. The question we all have for Ann Bogle <laughs> is, have you ever found yourself in a reading slump? Oh, for sure. And if I never had been, I'm not sure if you should be listening to me talk about books and reading. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, what am I going to say? Like, no, of course not. What's wrong with you? No, that is not the situation at all. This actually happened to me fairly recently. It's funny. I was on book tour this fall, going to tons of bookstores, talking about books with readers and booksellers and professional literary enthusiasts every night. And Sarah, it was so bad for my day-by-day -day reading life. I just, I really did not see that coming, but it was awful. And the main problem I realized eventually after thinking about this for weeks is that I was totally thrown off routine. And if I look back over my life, I know that whenever I'm thrown off routine, I often lose my good habits. Like I can go running four days a week for months. And then if I get sick and I don't go running for five days, then when I wake up on Thursday morning, when I used to run, it's not the thing I lasted. You know, it's like I've forgotten how to be. Mm -hmm. Or as the weather gets cold in the winter, we always have that experience where we go, I don't remember what we ate when it was cold outside last year. So when I was on book tour, I finally realized that I was out talking about books in bookstores during the time of the evening when I was usually at home reading my books by myself or with my family curled yeah. up at home. And when that was gone, I just didn't know what to do. And then I find like so many things, if you are reading a good book, you keep reading the good book. And if you finish that book, you pick up another one. But I just got stuck and I felt so much pressure to, okay, I finally have time to read. So what am I going to read next? Oh, there's so much and I want it to be really good. And I just really worked myself into an overthinking literary tizzy. If we have listeners who are thinking, you know, I used to read all the time or as a kid, I loved reading. But as a mom, you know, I've piled up responsibilities. I've got so much to do. I feel a little bit guilty ignoring the laundry pile or the dishes in the sink and sitting down to read a book. 
What would you say to that mom who's like, I just, I want to read. I just don't know how to make this a part of my everyday life. Okay. If we want to create a hierarchy of everyday life, shower probably does actually trump the book, but they're (laughs) definitely on a spectrum of taking care of yourself and taking care of your mind. And you talked about Jim Trelease and all the other studies that show parents who read create kids who read for better or worse. You taking time to read by yourself something you want to read and not just previewing your kid's book. Like they have to see you doing this for its own sake, for your own enjoyment. So I'm sorry that you can't say like, yes, this helped me plan my curricula or yes, this makes me a better mom, except it does make you a better mom because you're reading. And there was just this wonderful study that came out. Of course, I think it's wonderful because it reinforces everything I want to be true about the world, which Uh, is basically that, yeah, that books do wonderful things for everyone. But there was a study that showed just the amount of reading material in a home has a significant impact on academic outcomes for everyone who lives there, but especially the youngsters. And if people read it, that's bonus. But it can't just be any reading material. It has to be reading material for all ages. Yeah, actually, there is a study that I read. I think I quoted it in the Read Aloud family. So interesting. I'm pretty sure I got the information from Dr. Daniel Willingham, who wrote a book called Raising Kids Who Read. And it was so interesting to me because it showed that parents who believe that the primary purpose of reading is entertainment, not academic or educational, but entertainment, those parents have kids who read more and who are better readers. So it kind of is this twist where we think that if we value reading for the things it will do for us as far as, you know, education or the way we think or helping us become more culturally aware or something. That is, those are important parts of reading, but actually parents who believe that the primary reason to read is just for entertainment, they actually raise kids who love reading, who do it more and who do it better. And I think that's really a relief to those of us who really just love reading and we can't explain why we just do. Yes. And so I think the first step here is to really get clear in your mind, this is worth making time for. But then there is the issue of, okay, where's this time going to come from? And something I say all the time is you have more time than you think. Like anytime you can pick up your phone to scroll Instagram, if you're reading the right book, you could be reading on an app instead. Or I, it filled my heart with joy, Sarah, to hear you quote me on an episode of your podcast, because <laughs> I say all the time, I never leave home without a book or a snack. <laughs> and if you have a book, I mean, how many times do we bemoan the delay at the doctor's office? or the bank, or, oh, I waited so long at the bank the other day because I had to deposit a check that was written in pounds. What? That was sad. I know. (laughs) But do you know how much reading I got done while I was waiting for them to figure out the paperwork? (laughs) If I had not had a book with me, I would have just been scrolling my phone. If we always have a book with us, if we read in the cracks, and if you can, I know some people, depending on your stage of life, feel like this is really a stretch. But if you have a 15 minute time, some point during the day where, you know, unless disaster strikes, this is my reading time. You can really get some momentum going in your reading life. Like those little five and 10 minute intervals turn into real chapters that turn into actual books. And then you can cross something off your list or add it to your reading journal and feel like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And that feels really good. Yeah. I think there's a snowball effect because I've noticed that if I use those 10 or 15 minute little pockets of time, even five minutes, pockets of time while I'm waiting for the kettle to boil or waiting for the laundry to be done or just, you know, sitting outside soccer practice, waiting for that to finish up or whatever, then I will pick up my book more often when I have a larger chunk of time. So it's sort of like reading begets reading. You know, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. For those who want to read more, 
I'd also like to share this way of looking at your reading life that Laura Vanderkam coined. She's a productivity writer. Her most recent book, Off the Clock, is a favorite of mine, highly recommended. So she shared this idea that there were two types of readers, supply side and demand side. So I know this is economics and it doesn't sound super interesting, but hang with me because it pays off. So supply side readers have a supply of reading time. These are the people who are going to read no matter what. And if there's no good material around, then they will read the phone book. If that's you, you're a supply side reader. But demand side readers will only read if they feel like a book is begging for their attention. If there is something great that they want to read, they can make the time appear. They will be a fold. I do this with audiobooks. I will keep folding laundry and keep doing dishes and even clean my baseboards and the chandelier if I'm <laughs> listening to a great audiobook and I just want to get a few more minutes in. But if you're a demand side reader, if you know that you will only read if you have something great that you want to read, then you need to make sure that your to be read stack is full or you're not going to read. And if you can understand, like, I need good books first, or I'm not going to even feel the inclination to read, because I think we tend to think about it the other direction, then you know what you need to do to keep that momentum going in your reading life. Oh, that's good. Okay. So speaking of having a good list of books that you know you want to read, having them handy, right? We're going to give some book recommendations in a minute. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned your book tour, which is for your newest book called I'd Rather Be Reading, which is a collection of short essays about the delights and dilemmas of the reading life. And out of those essays, was one of them in particular the most fun to write or the most challenging to write? Or Yes, it was all. It, this was a really fun collection to write. Not that it didn't make me want to bang my head against the wall sometimes, but it was really fun to write. But the most fun was probably the chapter on bookworm problems, which... I have so many accumulated over the years. I really felt like it wrote itself. So bookworm problems are like, I mean, many of your readers are all too familiar with these. Your library holds all come in at the same time, but you've reached your limit on library checkouts or you check out more library books than you can carry or you take five books to the pool because you can't decide what to read next or to the carpool line. I've done both. Or you pack 12 books for a five-day vacation because running out of reading material is just not an option. So these are the kinds of things I wanted to talk about. It was a little snarky, but hopefully relatable to a lot of readers. And it was really fun to put together. A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling. But I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye <laughs> and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing too because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777, and we'll send it your way. 
Now, back to the show. Okay, so speaking of those essays, you had one called Again for the First Time, where you talk about rereading. So talk to me about rereading. How often do you reread? Why do you reread? And, you know, do you ever get the feeling of, I can't reread. There are so many other books that I haven't read yet. There are a lot of books I haven't read yet. And I know that some people categorically do not reread and say they never will for exactly that reason. And I'm sympathetic to that. But there are a couple of reasons I really love to do it. First of all, a great book doesn't show you all its secrets. The first time you're reading for plot, like you're reading to find out what happens, what world am I in? Who are these characters? What's going to happen next? But when you pick it up the second time, and you know what happens in the story, you can pay attention to the details. And you can also really pay, pay attention to how the author unfolds the story. Like one of my very favorite books is Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. And I remember vividly my second experience of reading it. Now I've read it six or seven. It used to be four or five, but now I'm certain I'm past the half dozen mark. But the first time when you open it up, you have this group of four people, they're together, they're old, and something is happening. And you're just plunged into the middle of it. And you're really getting your bearings and trying to figure out who are they? Why are we here? What's going on? But then in a series of flashbacks, you find out who they are and how they ended up there and what they mean to each other and how it came to be that way. So the second time I read this book, I opened it up and I'm like bawling by page two because I know where we are and I know how we got there and I know what happened before and what it means to what's happening right now. And it was such a different experience. I mean, it couldn't have been more different. But also, I really appreciated having the outlines of the story in my head going in. I often don't remember a thing about how the author truly unfolded it. So it's, it's a different experience. It's really interesting. And you can really, oh, this sounds so nerdy, but you can really observe the craft in a way that is really fun for book nerds. If you don't know what's going to happen, then there's no craft to observe. You're just figure, you're just listening to a story. And that's wonderful. There is nothing wrong with that. But it's a different kind of experience. So that it reminds me a lot of Alan Jacobs, The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. Just grabbed it off my shelf so I could read the part I knew I had underlined in here where he says, rereading a book can often be a more significant, dramatic, and yes, new experience than encountering an unfamiliar work. And I think it's all those things you just talked about. It's like you see it on a deeper level. You see new things you never would have gotten the first time. I don't remember if he talks about it in this book or if I've read it somewhere else, where oftentimes when we're reading a book for the first time, our natural default is to read for plot, like to answer the question, what happens next? And when we read a book a second time, we get to ask all these other questions or think about the beautiful language or see something they did with characters or just notice new things that we didn't notice when our eyes were so fixed on the plot. When we reread, we can also really notice how we've changed in the time between when we read it before and when we're reading it now. Like coming back to some books that I read in my teens or early 20s for the first time, it's interesting how I understand things in a different way because I wasn't a parent when I read those things and my parents were much younger. I was much younger. I hadn't had the history with my husband I do now. I hadn't, you know, lost friends and I hadn't experienced so many things in life. And then to to read the book again through the prism of my own experience made it made it a really different experience in a really wistful but also satisfying way. Hmm. Yeah.
Okay, let's give listeners some book recommendations. So I had a fun idea for you. We're going to see if we can do this. I thought I would name eight different categories, things like historical fiction or page turner, things like that. And you and I could each name one book that we really enjoyed in that category. That way listeners can go, oh, I really like mysteries or, oh, I really like classics or I really am into nonfiction. We'll have a couple of book ideas after this episode that they can put into that stack so that they can set themselves up for a year of reading, having great books, you know, on their nightstand or on their to be read shelf. And so that they know they always have something handy. Are you game? Just one book. Well, I mean, yes, I am game. (laughs) I am game. Let's start with a mystery novel. How about The Wife, the Maid, and the Mistress by Ariel Lahan? Historical fiction set in New York City, 1930. It's based on the true unsolved mystery of a New York Supreme Court judge who disappeared without a trace in the middle of the night. And this is Ariel Lahan's imagining of what really happened. Ooh, I've never heard of that one. So I'm going to add it to my list. I was going to recommend kind of anything by Kate Morton. I love Kate Morton. <laughs> I know. I think, listeners, can you tell that Anne and I have talked about Kate Morton before? Yeah, that's funny because we had we had different reactions to her most recent book. We did have different reactions, which I don't think is completely unusual because sometimes I'll see a book that you love and I think, nope, that one just didn't do it for me. <laughs> but I would recommend The Lake House by Kate Morton. I think that's a mystery novel that kind of kept me turning pages and wanting to know what how it's going to resolve. I think one of the things I like about her mystery novels, I heard somebody else say this, so it's not my own like thinking about it, but I thought that is it is that instead of trying to figure out who did it, you're always trying to figure out why they did it. Even if you can kind of figure out who who did whatever it was, you're trying to figure out what that motivation was. And that's something that she's really good at creating suspense for. Yes. And you know, that's one of the reasons I'd love talking books with you because a conversation that goes, what did you think? I liked it. I liked it too. That's no fun. Yeah. But true. talking about Kate Morton with you was, well, the last book, because I, I do love her and I will read anything she writes going into the future. But we did have different opinions about this last one. And that was a fun conversation. I don't think those two things are unrelated. Yeah, I agree. That was a fun one for me, especially because I pre-ordered it and forgot that I'd pre-ordered it or didn't notice that I didn't. Maybe I pre-ordered it and forgot when it was being released. But I went out to my mailbox and opened it. And it was like I had a new Kate Morton novel. And I was like, that is the best. (laughs) Just for you from the universe. Exactly. Okay, let's pick a historical book now. Historical fiction. So Susan Meisner is an author who was recommended reading for Kate Morton fans for sure. And if some of the themes in Kate Morton feel a little too uh, mature for some readers, Susan Meisner is a great place to go to. And I specifically want to recommend A Fall of Marigolds. And that is the book I was going to recommend. I am not (gasps) even kidding. So yes, my readers will love this book. Okay. (laughs) And who told you to read that one, Sarah? You did. (laughs) Okay, so it's another case of an author who weaves together tales from modern and historical stories together. And we read about Clara Wood, who she has to sort out her life after the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire of 1911. And then Taryn Michaels, and she's in modern day. She is trying to rebuild her life after losing her husband in the attack on the World Trade Center. And then those stories interweave and cross at some point. And it's just, I loved it. I really loved it. For those who love historical fiction, ooh, fun fact. Did you know, Sarah, that... Avid readers, those who read way more than the American average of like seven books a year, tend to read heaps of historical fiction. I didn't know that. This is a true thing. Okay. For those who love historical fiction, which also means for those who really love to read a lot, oftentimes, there's a new book out by Sarah McCoy. It came out in the fall of 2018. It's called Marilla of Green Gables. So this is Marilla Cuthbert 
telling her story before she met Anne. I was nervous. Yeah. I was nervous. And it does go, it does kind of go a direction I didn't quite expect, but I felt I was in good hands and I really enjoyed it. I read it in like two days. All right, let's go with page turners. What's a page turner that you'd recommend? Ooh, well, I feel like a page turner could go in any genre, really. Mm -hmm. I don't have a great twisty mystery to recommend. I kind of feel like those are a dime a dozen these days, but I did love I'll Be Your Blue Sky by Marisa De Los Santos. So here's what I like about this book. It goes down really easy. It just keeps you turning the pages. De Los Santos is a poet by training, and she has this way of using language in a way that's not at all flowery or self-conscious, but you just feel like she knows what she's doing and Mm. you can settle in and relax and enjoy the story because you're going to like where she takes you. And you could start here. So I'll Be Your Blue Sky is loosely connected. It has the same characters for two previous books. Loved Walked In was the first one and then Belonged to Me was the second. And then she took a break from her not quite series and just returned to those characters this spring. And they are just... They're just lovely people. You wish they'd move in next door to you. They're that kind of character. Okay, so I'm going to recommend a YA book. I don't know if you've read these, Anne. Have you read The Ascendance Trilogy by Jennifer Nielsen? I have not. Okay, it starts with The False Prince. And oh my gosh, I read the entire trilogy in, like I don't know, like a week or something. I basically ignored all my laundry, <laughs> feeding my children. It was the most page-turningest page-turner I have read in a very long time. <laughs> I can't really talk about it too much without giving things away because it's, that kind of book. But I think I recommend this book more often than anything else lately. So the first one is The False Prince. And your teens would like it too. So you can read it first and then hand it to your teens. Okay. How about you talked about beautiful language with your last recommendation. So what else? Let's let's do one, a book recommendation with especially beautiful language. I love Wendell Berry. <laughs> That's what I and have on I, my list too. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, okay, yeah, well for then sure. I'll go with Marilyn Robinson. I lo- really love her too. And it's hard to pick one I'd start with, but maybe, I mean, I feel like Gilead is the cliche. You could totally start there. Start with Gilead. How's that? Can you believe but, I've never read anything by Marilyn Robinson? I've heard her recommended everywhere by people who talk about beautiful language, in fact, but I have never read any. Well, and I feel like beautiful language can be a phrase that turns a lot of people off because they think that means effusive or flowery. But what I mean is that her writing is very gentle and she's very careful with her words. And she has this gift. And this is what she shares with Wendell Berry. So I totally see why people are recommending her to you all the time, because Mm -hmm. if you love Wendell Berry, you should definitely pick up some Marilyn Robinson. But she can write about ordinary events like coming in the door at the end of a long day and infuse them with the significance of the entire universe. Mm. And I really admire that. Are they paced about the same as Barry? Because I find, I enjoy Wendell Berry. I do find his books are generally slower than I prefer my plots to be. So I, I read them for a different reason. Are they about the same pacing, do you think? Or The pacing is gentle. Okay, yeah. yeah. Gentle is a good word for it. I find myself- These are not, I can't go to bed until I find out what happens next kind of books. Yeah, yeah. And when I'm reading Wendell Berry, I find myself you know, like breathing a little slower, just sort of like luxuriating in the language. I don't find myself like reading really fast. Sometimes I'll just stay with a sentence and like then find myself staring out the window or reading it again and again because it's so beautiful. But um, I recently finished Jaber Crow. I have read before Hannah Coulter. And my favorite actually is probably Watch With Me. Those are all three that I've read from Wendell Berry. I haven't read any others. But what do you think? I mean, I'm not really sure where to recommend people start with Wendell Berry. Where do you think would be a good starting place? Well, generally with a series like this, I always recommend people start with my favorites, which are the ones you've read, Hannah Coulter and Jaber Crow. Yeah. Yeah. What's a short or fast book that you would recommend? 
If your readers haven't read The Quotidian Mysteries, the subtitle is Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. I think they'll really enjoy it. So this is really short. It's 88 pages. But what she does is reflects on the more mundane tasks that consume our everyday lives, like the cooking and the cleaning and the dishes and the diapering, and talks about why they matter so much to the world, to our bodies, to our brains, to our rhythms of being. It's so validating and spiritual in a really refreshing, even empowering way. So good. I just looked it up to see if I recognize it because it kind of sounds familiar, but maybe not. I'm thinking probably because I've it. talked about it okay. for, for 10 years now. Okay. I'm waffling over what to recommend. So I'm going to recommend both because I can't pick. <laughs> <laughs> the one I originally was going to recommend is called Mitten Strings for God by Katrina Kennison. It's a collection of essays from Mothers in a Hurry. I cannot tell you how much I loved these essays when I first read them, probably a decade ago, maybe a little longer. I still love it. It's one of those books where you can read the whole thing start to finish, or you can just pick an essay, read it and put the book aside for a while. So I love it because you can read a whole chapter before bed. And I feel like I love motherhood and I see the beauty in my everyday kind of life more clearly after I read something from it. So that's Mitten Strings for God. But another book that I that just popped in my head that I thought, oh, that's short. And I love to read it and reread it and reread it is Gift from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh which probably a lot of people have heard of, but it's a book that you can reread and reread. And again, is another short book that helps you see like the beauty and magic of your everyday existence. Let's go to series. What are some series you can't stop reading? I love the Louise Penny mystery set in Three Pines, the fictional small little adorable city that I now desperately want to move to in Quebec. Now she has something like 14 books out. And I'm sorry to say that you really ought to start at the beginning. And book one is slow. It's more Wendell Berry paced. In book two and three, these are murder mysteries. The murder's kind of weird. And in book four, the series really hits its stride. And from there, it's just one long adventure in turning the pages. If these are a little much for you, I also really, really love the fun page turnery kind of YA series, The Lunar Chronicles. These are fairy tales with a twist, but the cover of the first one is kind of cool, but mostly it made me not want to read the book. So I needed heaps of readers I trusted saying, no, really, get over it. Pick this up. We think you're really going to love it. And I did. I'm not a big series person, so I kind of tend to get a little bored and I definitely can't binge on a series. So if even if I like one, I'll read them kind of spaced out. The one I want to recommend is The Number One Ladies Detective Agency by Alexander McCall Smith. I don't, this is the series that I said at the beginning of this episode. I don't know why I love them so much, but I mean, I love them. I read every single one. I like them on audio best because I think Lisette Lacaw does a brilliant job narrating. It just adds a different kind of depth. First of all, I wouldn't know how to pronounce a lot of the names if she didn't do it for me. <laughs> I also have become a dedicated Red Bush tea drinker since starting this podcast. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, this series. And really, they're, they're mysteries, but they're slower paced. They're not riveting. There's just a lot of... I love the main character, Maura Motswe. I love her ponderings on life, her musings on life. I mean, I feel like there's probably a lot I would copy into my reading journal if I was reading them in paper instead of listening to them on audio. Okay, let's do a classic that still delights. I got to go with Emma. I've not read it. Can you believe that? I haven't read it. Wait, hold on. Don't we have you on the record with me also confessing to never reading Pride and Prejudice? This I, is a theme. Keep having me back and I'll keep like pouncing new uh, Jane Austen titles on you. I have read Pride and Prejudice since then, though, <laughs> but I haven't read Emma. So that'll be next up, I guess. <laughs> I really like Emma. 
I was going to mention G.K. Chesterton because I am a little in love with G.K. Chesterton. So I loved Orthodoxy, but my that's the one I hear recommended most or the Father Brown Mysteries. But my favorite is actually a collection of essays. They're funny essays. And it, the collection is called Tremendous Trifles. And I just <laughs> love them. <laughs> okay, last category, nonfiction. There's so much here. I know. That's kind of an unfair category, isn't it? <laughs> okay. In two directions. Recently, I've been loving Danny Shapiro's work. She's primarily a, well, I love her memoirs best. She has one coming out later this month called Inheritance that I devoured. Before that, my favorite is called Hourglass and it's about time, memory, and marriage. But on a different take, I really love and recently reread Eleanor Roosevelt's terrific book, You Learn by Living. I used to think of her as this like dry, dusty woman of history, but she wrote this in her, I think her 70s, and she still has spunk and spark, and she's so smart. And it's really incredible to me how fresh and wise her insights seem today, even though she wrote them in the 60s, and even though she grew up in a totally different world. Hey, you recommended that book to me, and I loved it so much it went into my recommendation for teens in the Read Aloud family, because I agree. I was surprised by how much I loved that book. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. I was um, all, another one I was surprised that I read recently is Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It tells the story of the creation of the company Pixar. And the subtitle is called Overcoming the Unseen Forces That Stand in the Way of True Inspiration. I thought I'd like it, but I loved it. And I copied a lot of passages into my reading journal about the creative process and overcoming fear and you know taking risks in our life and work. And I just I was really surprised at how much I kept talking about that book after I finished reading it. So you know what I really remember about that book hmm. is the careful placement of the bathrooms at Pixar and why it mattered. <laughs> I love it when you just remember something random like that. And it's like it's what sticks in your mind. That is the thing that that book represents. It's not random. It's totally strategic. Sarah. That's true. It's true. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to connect with Anne, you can go to the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 119. You can find all the books we just recommended in a great big list, as well as links to Anne's podcast. And you can always go straight to the source to get her book recommendations and all kinds of good readerly tips and ideas at modernmrsdarcy.com. Anne, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Gary and I am 11 years old. I live in Lynchfield, Illinois, and my favorite book is Hatchet by Gary Paulson. I like it because it's a survival story and it's full of adventure. Hi, my name is Evelyn and I'm 10 years old. I live in Lynchfield, Illinois. My favorite book is Amy Carmichael's Rescuer of Precious Gems by Janet and Jeff Minge. The story has inspired me and I hope to one day follow in her footsteps. My name is Audie and I am eight years old. I live in Linfield, Illinois. My favorite book that my mom has read to me is The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner. I love it because it's full of adventure. Hi. My name is Augustus, and I am seven years old. I live in Lynchfield, Illinois. My favorite book is that that my mom has read to me is The Pindewicks. I love the first one, and I can't wait to hear the other four. My name is Bonnie. I am five. I 
live at Illinois. And what's your favorite book that I read to you? The Monster at the End of the Book. And why is it your favorite? Because um, he says, don't turn the page. And he says, there's a monster at the end, don't turn the page. But do you turn the page anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens? At the end of the book, he said, just me, no monster. <laughs> what's your name? Eleanor. And how old are you? Four. And where do you live? Illinois. And what's your favorite book? Fancy Nancy and the... Wedding of the Century. And the Wedding of the Century. And why is it your favorite? Because it's a wedding. Because it's a wedding. Hi, my name is Rachel. I am five years old. I live in Virginia. My favorite book is Christmas in the Big Woods. What I like about it is all the stuff they make um, looks and sounds yummy. My name is Sunny. I am six. I live in England and Sheffield. My favourite book is Five One Way Together by Eden Blyton. I like it because it's full of stories. My name is Sophie. I am eight years old. I live in Sheffield, England. My favourite book is Naughtiest Girl Again by Enid Blyton. I like it because it's full of problems at schools and they always find solutions to the problems. Hi, my name is Cayman. I'm six and I'm from Alabama. And my favourite book is Little House on the Prairie. And my favourite part is when they build a house. Hello, my name is Kara. I like moon pie books, and my favorite part is when the moon said fruit flies. I live in Alabama. My name is Karen, and I'm four. And that book is called Jimmy Zhang Wow's Out of This World Moon Pie Adventure. All right. Thanks so much, kids. Hey, your kids can leave a message for the Read Aloud Revival podcast by going to readaloudrevival.com scrolling to the bottom of the page and leaving a message right there. I'd love to hear from them. We play every message in the order they're received. Don't forget to sign up for our free Read Aloud Challenge. You can sign up at any point in the month, but of course, you'll get the best results if you sign up today. That's rar31days.com. So one thing that's new for 2019 is that instead of putting up new episodes every week and then taking big chunks of time off like we've been doing, we're going to start posting every other week around the year instead. So if you've been around long, you know that we usually do two months on, one month off. Two months on where we have a new podcast every week and then a whole month off. But instead, in 2019, you can expect a new episode of the podcast to drop into your ears every other Tuesday all year round instead. So I'll be back in two weeks and we're going to talk about how to focus on what matters most in your new year. Until then, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Are you still here? 
Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR Premium by going to readaloudrevival.com sample or by texting the word RAR sample, like it's one word, all squished together, <laughs> to the number 33777. 